Can changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Vaden and Rex. All right. Welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we had the pleasure of interviewing Nia and Brittany from the podcast Nonprofit Reframe. Baden, what do you think? Um, other than me butchering the name a couple times on the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I kept saying reform for whatever reason, but it was an awesome podcast. Um, I originally found these two on social media on Instagram and was following them and then thought it'd be great to reach out to them to interview them and what they're doing because there's so many I know of you listeners out here who are in the nonprofit world and thought that they would be a great resource for you. And when I then subscribed to their podcast and started listening to it, I was like, they have awesome chemistry together. Yeah. It's funny, it's engaging, and it's super informative what they're talking about. Yeah, and even if you're not in the nonprofit space, if you're not trying to start a nonprofit or have a, an existing nonprofit, I, there's some great episodes for people outside to kind of get a glimpse of what it's like on the inside because to be honest, I had some misconceptions that they totally address. And um, when it comes to the transparency or trying to choose a nonprofit, they have some great tips for questions that you can ask and really how you can find something that resonates with you. But you also know that like, hey, I know my money is going to be used correctly. Yeah. And so many different aspects of nonprofit world. Um, we talk about corporate sponsorships and the benefits, the pros, the cons, whether you should do it or not. Talk about you know, the best events to put together for fundraising and crowdsourcing. And these are things that, I mean, I know we found a lot of guests on our show from crowdsourcing platforms. So this is a a known sector for a lot of people to, you know, to go on Indiegogo to raise money and, you know, just, just listening to Nia and Brittany talk. And then when you listen to their podcast, you're just going to learn so much more about all different aspects of your nonprofit and how you can grow your business. So um, hope you guys enjoy the episode. We we really did. Um, they're yeah, they're great. a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Great interview. I'm looking forward to listening consistently to their podcast as they come out because you know it's a space. You know, Rex and I aren't necessarily a nonprofit, but it's definitely in our space in our wheelhouse. All this information. So definitely, um, that, you know, super excited to uh, share this podcast with you guys. Make sure that you are subscribing to our podcast. Uh, once again, the more subscribers that we get, the more reviews that we get, the more exposure that we get. And our goal here is to just highlight people doing awesome things and and sharing their corner of the universe. So the better that you promote this podcast, the better that you're promoting everyone else. You know, that rising tide rises all ships. Like that. That's right. And at the end, uh, Nia also mentions that if you're thinking about starting a nonprofit, she also is a consultant too. So there's some great info on there if you're thinking about getting something going. And I hope you enjoy the episode. So welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Brittany and Nia from the Nonprofit Reframe podcast. Um, really excited to talk with them about what they're doing with their podcast and the information that they're sharing. I know a lot of people who listen to our podcast are in the nonprofit uh, space. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy the content that you guys get from this. So without further ado, Nia and Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Hello. Thank you. 
Absolutely. So I'd kind of like to start off, um, if you guys would mind each kind of jumping in and telling your story of how you guys got started just in the nonprofit space, and then we can kind of move into the, the podcast and how that developed. Sure. Okay. I'll go first. This is Brittany. Um, I have spent my entire career in the nonprofit sector. So started with first job right out of college and um, moved to Colorado where we're located now for grad school and continued working part-time in nonprofits while I finished grad school and then um, just kind of hopped around. The, the nonprofit sector, I think that's what's so great about it is that um, it's such a close network and so you get to know people and you opportunities arise. So even though that is not why I went to grad school. I went to grad school. I got a master's in religious studies, which I do absolutely nothing with in my professional life. <laughs> but you know what? It got me to Colorado and um, involved in these amazing organizations. And so I've been in development work um, as a development director for the last 10 years. And that's where I met Nia. And I, this is Nia, uh, I started a nonprofit uh, back in college, actually. I worked for this small organization back in Michigan, and uh, it's kind of the classic story of a nonprofit where you've got this amazing, committed executive director who loves the programs, know how they run, and had no idea how to run a business. Mm -hmm. And so I left that experience being like, if nonprofits are the way we're changing our world and our communities right now, there's got to be a better way to do it. So when I came to Colorado, I did go to grad school for nonprofits. That was uh, smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've continued to spend my entire career working in and adjacent to nonprofits. Uh, I was in fundraising for a long time. I ran an organization. Um, and then I got out into consulting a few years back um, so that I can really help build capacity for sec the sector at large, not just you know the one nonprofit I was working for. So collectively, we decided we have, what, over 30 years? Yeah, beyond 30. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that, brought that up, Nia, because I'm sure that happens a lot where there's a lot of people who have this great idea for a nonprofit. Um, there's a good they want to do or a hole in society they feel can fill this void, but they want to run it like a, like a charity instead of a business. Right. So yeah. that's yeah, go ahead. So that was a real spark for the guy for your guys's podcast to try and teach people to look at this as a business and not just as you know a side thing that doesn't ever grow <laughs> well exactly i mean i think that that is um i don't know i think it does such a disservice to the sector to even call it the nonprofit sector because it insinuates that you know you're not trying to have a profit when really um particularly when you're working in the fundraising side of things that's exactly what we're trying to do. <laughs> and so um, just changing the way people view the sector is one of our goals. And I, I think another piece of that is as we were uh, working in the sector and we were becoming friends, we were realizing that we were bumping up against these same structures that were really infuriating. Um, and we had each other to, to text and call to say, like, I can't believe that this thing is happening and that this dysfunction is um, existing across the sector. And that's when it was finally like, you know, maybe other people are experiencing this and they're, they're stuck in their little cubicle thinking they're the only ones experiencing it. And so we really wanted to provide this opportunity to say like, no, th this is endemic of nonprofits. This is a, a structural issue. And like, let's have some fun and joke about it, but like also address these really intense power dynamics that are halting us from making social change. As far as the nonprofit sector goes, 
you kind of touched on the fundraising side of it, but there's kind of a lot of different people in that space, correct? Oh sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. What what uh, for you guys? Kind of where do you fit in, like, or what nonprofits have you guys worked with? You don't well, have to necessarily name them, but yeah. as far as, <laughs> yeah, as for any type. For anybody who's listened to the show, we work really hard to try to maintain anonymity of mm. our uh, organizations and clients with varying degrees of success. Yeah. <laughs> so I still, I mean, Nia is very open and clear about it because her company is a sponsor of our podcast, but she runs her own nonprofit consulting firm, okay. whereas I still work directly with a nonprofit. And gotcha. I don't speak to that because I want in the nonprofit those views to be my views and not reflective of where totally. I work. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I totally get it. But as far <laughs> as, um, I mean, a lot of the nonprofit, we've kind of had a, a mix of different nonprofits on the show. And a lot of them, you know, are foreign aid or, you know, helping mm-hmm. uh, oh, people okay. outside of our country. Mm-hmm. Um, but within our country, there's also a ton of different, you know, nonprofits. So what kind of space, if you just kind of had to sum it up, would yeah. you guys have? Yeah, well, I would say that I started... Once I moved to Colorado, I started working for an organization that was helping women um, with entrepreneurial training in Africa. Okay. And then from there, kind of bounced around. And I felt that every place I moved got closer and closer to the community in which I lived. And I feel that, um, you know, while I think there's so many great organizations out there personally, I, it's most important for me to help those within my community. And mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, that has become more and more important. Gotcha. For me, I, I mean, similarly, I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I worked for a statewide um, association that worked with um, high school students and like debate and theater. Um, but for the last 10 years or so, I've mostly focused on local human service nonprofits, especially in the child welfare space. Mm-hmm. Um, and even my client base now is mostly human service organizations, um, although kind of a bit more wide ranging in terms of what services they're providing. But that's certainly what's nearest and dearest to my heart. And so the kinds of clients I try to attract as well. <laughs> gotcha. You know, nice. that totally makes sense. Yeah. So we kind of joked about it a little bit before we started recording. Um, so let's go back to you guys both working in nonprofit sectors. You decide that there's something wrong with the status quo of nonprofits and we have this great idea to start a podcast. So it was just as easy as that. Like you said, plug in the <laughs> microphones and get going. Talk us through that process of the idea of starting a podcast and then how you guys got the ball rolling. Because you guys have a pretty good following now on your podcast. Of, of you, I feel like you've built a good culture of people who, um, who are in that space, who, mm-hmm. who love what you guys do. And for everyone who's listened to this, you got to make sure and subscribe to their podcast because you just have great chemistry together on the yeah, show. Totally. Oh, really thank great. you. Thank you. Well, I was going to say, sorry, <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of start where we are and then work backwards. But I was joking with Nia. Um, I had a big event on Saturday night and I got fangirled for the first time. Oh, nice. That's cool. So someone found me and <laughs> they said, oh my gosh, I listen to your podcast every week and I have to meet you. And I just looked at her and said, are you fangirling me right now? <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, can I say that on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was like, absolutely. Yeah, I was cool. at Brittany's event and I got recognized by my voice, which was oh, really? first. Cool. They're like, you're, you're the other person on Brittany's podcast. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, my podcast too, but sure. I recognize my voice. <laughs> but yeah, to, to walk it back. So it, it really did start off as like kind of a joke between us when 
ridiculous things would ha- would happen. We'd be like, uh, that's another podcast episode. And then it just kept happening so frequently that we were like, do we actually have a podcast here? Mm-hmm. And we started writing down all the ideas we had when we hit 50 like episodes, uh, ideas last summer, we were like, Oh, okay. So this is real. Like we got enough content here. Yeah. Let's actually make it happen. And then started the process of like, okay, how do you make a podcast? Like what, what does production look like and how do you get it out into the world? And how do we ensure that the launch works successfully? And so we spent what, like four months just in that preparation mode, doing all the tech stuff, figuring out our brand, uh, workshopping the name a million times over, and then finally got to launching last December. Yeah. And I think two things that come to mind that I think really pushed us forward in it and making it happen. One is that we went to a conference last fall and saw one of our idols, for lack of a better term, (laughs) within the nonprofit sector who runs a blog um, and shares the same passions that we do for um, how to change the sector. And we fangirled him. (laughs) And then um, I told him we were starting the podcast. And I thought, you know, put out there. I thought Mia was going to (laughs) die or kill kill me. (laughs) But then it made it real. Then we commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second thing is that we had a friend who um, runs his own podcast and has a studio and he offered to engineer our first episode. Oh, nice. And so that gave us a place, a time, and then it was okay. We now actually have to do it. Yeah. Very cool. And so uh, some of the hurdles, can you talk about some of the hurdles that you've had to overcome as far as the podcast? I mean, you kind of touched on uh, the fact that you had to figure out the technical side. you want to <laughs> expand on that? Well, yeah. So uh, Brittany's looking at me since I, I do it all. Most of that, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, people think that you just make a podcast and you put it out there. And if you really want to take a podcast to scale, which is our goal, it, you know, we want our ideas to live beyond this room. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just hit Brittany in the face with all my <laughs> excited hand gestures. Um, we, we knew we ne- needed to take it to scale. And so there's the, all the back end stuff of like, who's going to host your podcast? How do you get it on all the platforms? Um, what kind of website do we want to back it up? Um, we also wanted to ensure um, that we had accessibility to a number of different kinds of people. So we, we do transcripts of every single episode and put that out there. Oh, um, cool. And then as we were coming up with episodes, uh, I think both of us are really comfortable talking about fundraising because we've spent so much of our career there, but this isn't a fundraising podcast. Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to spread out the content and really be diligent and thoughtful about what, what episode comes when and following what. Um, And so we, we storyboarded our first three months. So what, 12 episodes out to make sure that we had Mm -hmm. that really well dialed in. Um, And then there was the, the, the piece of like, okay, how do we structure this into our lives? Because podcasting, like it, it's not just us sitting down for half an hour recording and it's done. It takes a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. to put them together and produce them and get each episode out. And so I think we're still kind of figuring out how that works into our lives because it's just such a time commitment. Definitely. Yeah, yeah that's great. And I love what you guys do. That's, it makes so much sense that you storyboarded it all out because when I was looking, you know, I went back and listened to a few different of your episodes, just finished the corporate uh, partnership one this morning. Um, but I look at it and I was, when I'm listening to them, I'm like, there's so many good things on this podcast because I feel like you get a lot of 
culture in the nonprofit sector internally, but then it's also really great for someone who's just getting started in a nonprofit who wants to learn how to fundraise or how to find grants or mm-hmm. how to hire when they get to that point. I mean, with our church, you know, we just became a nonprofit and we were hiring people for the first time and it's like, okay, well, what do, you, what do we do? And yeah. these are big questions for all nonprofits that are just like, okay, so like we've created a nonprofit. First off, like getting your 501c3 status can be tough. Then you get that and you think, all right, we're done. But that's really just the beginning of... That's the start. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. We say that it's not a best practices podcast, but that inherently comes out in the storytelling. So it's kind of, there's some best practices that are uh, woven through the storyline, which makes it fun. And because, you know, the nonprofit sector, the turnover rate is very high. And so that is kind of an impetus for why we're doing this podcast is that we really want people, as Nia was saying earlier, to recognize that some of these things that they're experiencing, they're not alone, that we do need to make that shift because we need people in this sector. Mm -hmm. I mean, this sector is needed now kind of more than ever in today's Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. I would also add, I think that, uh, one of the things that we want to do since this isn't a best practices podcast is make sure that it is kind of funny, right? Like we've, we've got some good banter. We're going to make fun of some of the stuff that's happening. I mean, we think we're funny. <laughs> yeah, you guys are funny. But like one of our early episodes we recorded and we listened back and we were like, this is like too doom and gloomy. Yeah. Like we, we spent an entire hour and it just, it didn't have the lightness that we wanted. And because we want people to listen and enjoy it and still get something out of it. We, we totally scrapped that episode. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's really, really important to us that we can have these discussions with sincerity and lightness. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. We've done a couple episodes where they're very heavy um, just because the nature of the nonprofit where afterwards we're like, whew, yeah. that yeah. was intense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And we Uh, talk about that heavy stuff, you know, like vicarious trauma and what we're dealing with as staff when we're working with clients in crisis and what we end up taking on. And so I think that's why it's so important to have that levity. Yeah. All balance. So you guys are like 12 episodes in, um, besides being fangirled, which is a goal that (laughs) me and Rex haven't achieved yet. That's okay. Hopefully. It's Um, coming. It's coming. It's coming. coming. What's, uh, is there any other big like takeaways that have been unforeseen benefits from starting the podcast? Well, I, I do. Um, I'm really enjoying the conversations we're having. Um, you know, at first we would just kind of get a text here or there from somebody that we know well, but now we're starting to get people really coming out of the woodwork and and saying like that hiring episode that really resonated. Mm-hmm. I'm experiencing that right now, which was our goal, right? It was to provide that that kind of sounding board almost. Um, and then we're starting to bring it to larger audiences. We have a conference we're opening up later this fall. Um, we've got a couple of smaller like live tapings that were are in the works. And so the good news is that the way that we're presenting this content on really hard topics about power dynamics is is resonating with, with the kinds of people that need to be making the changes and stepping into kind of those uncomfortable discussions. So that's the part that I am most excited about is that it's really starting to grow in the right places. Well, and I think to when you asked earlier about what, what challenges we may have faced or maybe we're not as prepared for. I think there's a whole emotional side to, or mental side to podcasting that I definitely um, 
did not foresee coming <laughs> of just second guessing. Uh, oh my gosh. Especially when you're transcripting what you're saying and you notice all your different, um, uh, idiosyncrasies, it, yeah. 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 the ums, all the so's, all that, that sort of thing. And then also just putting yourself out there in a very vulnerable way Definitely. and not knowing how it's going to be received. Yeah. So I think that that has been one of the more personally satisfying things about doing this podcast is being able to speak our truth and do it authentically and have it resonate with people. Totally. Have you noticed the podcast so far helping you out in like the skills you've got from it in communication, helping you out more in your work life and especially Nia with consulting as well. Have you felt like it's given you more like confidence more? I mean, I think you lack confidence, but just more confidence, more stature, just anything that other benefits from it. I would actually say the opposites happened oh, really? because we are <laughs> right. kind of confronting these hard dynamics on the podcast. You still have to go back and do your job, which, you know, not all my clients are ready to have those conversations or not mm-hmm. every funder, so, you know, like I'm helping a client prep a grant application where there are like really ridiculous questions. And I just want to call the funder and be like, stop asking these dumb questions. It's not helping you fund our community. But instead, yeah. I have to, you know, I have to be the consultant and help them write a good grant application. So you end up kind of with the, these dual lives of like mm. confronting the power on the podcast yeah. and you still are playing some of the games on the back end. Yeah, yeah, that I could see that. You guys are obviously presenting your knowledge from inside the space. Mm-hmm. Well, from outside the space, can you talk about maybe just some of the biggest misconceptions of nonprofits? Oh gosh, so many. <laughs> How long is this podcast? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, actually, I think to hit on what Brittany said earlier, um, the, the idea that we can't make a profit is mm-hmm. really hard. And um, wrapped up in that is the thought that nonprofits can't invest in infrastructure. So we have lagging technology. We, we don't invest in our staff um, effectively, efficiently. We're, we're not paying people well enough. Um, and so that like whole nonprofit conception in terms of the financials is one of the most damaging things to the sector as a whole. Yeah. And I, I would agree. Absolutely. And I would also say that um, I think at times there's a, misperception that people who are working in nonprofits are people that couldn't make it in the for-profit world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, that's simply not true Mm -hmm. that that somehow maybe they're less competent or I don't know. And what I find is um, which is also kind of the tagline of our podcast is that, you know, those that work in the sector, they really are um, relentless and they work harder than anybody I know and are so smart and do so much with so little. And yet that shouldn't be what's expected. You know, we need to be able to fund these organizations properly so that they can actually do their work effectively instead of trying to just get by every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I would actually add to that too. So many folks on the outside of the sector, you just see your little window of, you know, I'm a volunteer with this organization. And so that's my interaction. I'm a donor, mm-hmm. et cetera. And, and so it's really hard to get a holistic picture of what's happening. And I think especially in human services organizations, you don't necessarily understand the the weight of the work that they're doing. You know, the number of times that I'd have a volunteer call and be like, I called you yesterday. Why didn't you get back to me? And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, we've got a kid in crisis over here. I'm, I'm trying to juggle all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and yet in your, as a volunteer, you're like, you're 
your uh, viewpoint, of course, is that you you want to help and you want to get involved. And and why isn't this nonprofit getting back to me sooner? Yeah. And so I totally understand both sides. But I think especially to folks who are outside the sector, it, it really just understanding like how under-resourced our nonprofits are. Mm-hmm. It, it's not about them not wanting to process your donation faster. They do. We just, we can't. Um, and we're dealing with such hard stuff most of the time that you know, when, when a crisis comes up, everything else goes by the wayside. And, and that's what we want our nonprofits to do anyway. You know, if you take a step back, you're like, of course, you should be handling this family that doesn't have a place to sleep tonight. Absolutely. Go deal with that. My donation can be processed later. But in that moment, it, it's hard, I think, for donors and volunteers to, to make yeah. that distinction. That's yeah, good I, perspective. Yeah, I love to on um, one of your guys' episodes, I forget who shared it, but they were talking about corporate sponsorships where, you know, a company might come in and they'll say, hey, we, we want to volunteer 10 workers to come do some project and uh, we're going we're gonna to do it on Saturday because we work Monday through Friday. So they're all going to come in on Saturday. And, and from the company's perspective, once again, misconceptions, they're like, hey, we're doing this great thing. But from the nonprofit side, you guys shared like, well, now we have to staff Saturday yeah. and we have to do this and this is out of our budget to have somebody else come in and then you're spending time logistically figuring out. So talk a little bit more about that corporate connection and the misconceptions. And then also you guys talked about CSR, right? That was corporate social responsibility. Yep. You yeah. got it. So I love to have you guys share a little bit more about that. Cause that was a new concept that I had heard. Um, so I'd like to have other people kind of learn a little more about that. Sure. Well, the emerging workforce, um, so what, what is, is that millennials or now we're past millennials that Gen Z, Z. I yeah. don't know, yeah. whoever it's, you know, the young ones going into <laughs> the workforce yeah. right now, much younger than me. Anyways, they seem to have, um, a real grasp on, uh, social responsibility and, you know, they want to work places at places that are giving back to the communities, giving back to the world. So it's becoming, um, greater importance to companies wanting to recruit that workforce, that they have to demonstrate that that is a value of their company in order to get that really talented workforce. So that's great. Mm -hmm. But now it's, how is that demonstrated? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I I think we hit on this in that episode too. So often, um, especially if you're looking at like economic development and chambers of commerce, when they've got big companies coming into a town, they're like, yay, we've got you know, more, more employees, all, all these wonderful things. And then those of us on the human services side are like, okay, who are they pushing out? Mm-hmm. You know, what is this going to do to housing availability? What is this going to do to access to services? And so then the, when the companies are just kind of, you know, put on this pedestal of thank you so much for coming to our town and aren't aware of some of those unintended consequences that then we take on as nonprofits, it becomes really problematic. So when we have corporate social responsibility, CSR programs that are embedded within the companies and really working in partnership with community, we can help them out offset some of that, right? So you come into a town, you change the availability of housing, like let, let's get you connected in with a housing organization where you can actually give back and start to make some changes in that space. Um, but it, it's really important that companies are recognizing that um, CSR doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? It, it's as much about what they put into it mm-hmm. as what they're going to get back. Um, I think too often companies come to a nonprofit and they're like, okay, we want to help. And it's like, okay, 
company, what do you want to do? And it, it needs to be more of this, you know, re- true dialogue so that we can come up with things that are not overly burdensome, but helpful to the nonprofit and also, you know, engage the company effectively because we do want employees who are engaged in nonprofits, right? Like as nonprofits, if we can get a, an organization to truly understand what social impact looks like, what the needs of our community are, that is such a win. But we need to do it in a way that is truly respectful of the nonprofit sector and the work that they're doing um, along with the, the company and its impact. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that corporate giving only um, makes up 5% of total giving in the sector. So it's actually oh, wow. small. Yeah, not, very guess that. small. And I feel like you know, when you asked earlier about kind of outside perceptions, there's this sense, and I've had it happen to me so many times, of, well, I just don't want to throw money at the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather get my hands dirty and help out. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that a lot of the nonprofits that are in your local communities are struggling to hit their budget every year. And even if they are hitting their budget, they're not getting that profit that we've been talking about that allows them to grow their programming. So don't discredit the power of money mm-hmm. and how much and, and undervalue it as just throwing it at the problem. It really is fueling the solution. And so that's what we're trying. And that was one of my hashtags. I love it. <laughs> fueling the solution. Um, that's what we're trying to tell people. So as these companies move in, yes, we understand you want to demonstrate that you are doing the social good in the community and look at all these volunteer time. And that's great. But also, are you helping to fund it when you are a for-profit, making a big profit? Let's use some of that to embolden our communities. Yeah, that's, that's good. So question on that. If 5% of the giving, only 5% is coming from corporate sponsorships, do we feel like going around and banging on businesses' doors is a waste of time or an untapped resource? Waste of time. Waste of time. All right. right. Wow. Hard answer there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So again, in my consulting world, I spend a lot of time working with clients who are like, yeah, I've got this great corporate sponsorship packet. I'm just going to walk up and down Main Street and that's how we're going to hit budget. And that's just not the truth anymore. You know, maybe 20 years, 30 years ago, that that was more effective. But at this point, it is all about the relationship. Mm -hmm. So for nonprofits to be looking through their boards of directors and their volunteers, where do they work? Where, Where do they actually have an opportunity to effectively engage? Because companies are, um, especially around here where we have so many nonprofits, they, they do have a lot of people, you know, hitting them up, so to speak. And we don't want that. No. We don't want anybody to feel like they're being hit up. It should be a true partnership. But yeah. that's why you need, you know, John Smith from your board who's going to say, employer, here's an organization who I'm involved with. Let's connect and see if there's a, a way for us to engage both in volunteer and dollars. Yeah, okay. that's, that's great. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, question also, <laughs> which do you prefer for fundraising events, galas, runs, walks, drives, or something that I'm not mentioning for like those kind of big time, you know, quarterly events or once a year events, something else, something else, <laughs> none, of, none of the above. <laughs> well, I am less than 48 hours out from my gala that yeah, okay. happened on Saturday and I am exhausted. (laughs) Um, It was very successful, but it's just so much work. And my organization also does um, a fundraising race as well. The absolute best 
fundraiser is a third-party fundraiser where another group or organization or company puts it on and then the nonprofit is the beneficiary and or if you can get, and these are kind of um, shot in the dark or what do I, no, like unicorn events, you know, there's not that many of them. They're very rare and unique where the cost of putting them on is so minimal compared to the, so for example, one place that I worked does a sleep out and the cost, so everybody who sleeps out overnight raises a thousand dollars and the cost to put on the event is minimal. But when you get that many people who are raising that money and sleeping out, the revenue from it is so big. Those are your prime events, but they are unicorns. They are few and far between. Well, and for those who aren't in fundraising, you know, I think it's easiest to think about the last time you made a donation someplace you truly cared about mm-hmm. because you're really tied to the mission, right? Like when you made that donation, hopefully it made it, you feel really good about making a difference. But when we talk about galas or runs, it's a different feeling, right? You're going, you're hobnobbing, yeah. you're having yeah. a great night. Maybe you make a donation too, but in, you're really like, they've contrived this atmosphere of extravagance and a fun night out when the best fundraising really is because I love what you're doing and I want to get involved and here's my contribution towards it. So all of those events to me end up being a lot of extra noise. Um, And and I'm not saying that nonprofits should scrap events entirely because there there are good purposes for them, especially in bringing new donors in. But the best fundraising is about uh, is based on that relationship with a donor and a nonprofit where we truly feel like we are in partnership in addressing this issue. Have cool. you seen social media uh, enhance how you guys do fundraising? Yeah, and I think... Uh, or just awareness of nonprofits, I mean, in general? Yeah, it's definitely a double-edged sword at this point because I think initially, especially when social media was kind of novel, it was this great free platform, Right. And now there is so much noise that yeah. it's really hard to differentiate yourselves. But at the same time, you can't not be on it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think nonprofits are really struggling with how do we, how do we stand out? How do we ensure that our people are getting the, the news they need? You know, like uh, I work with a, a number of Meals on Wheels programs. And so there'll be like a snow day or something where they're not uh, thriving. Right. Yeah. And so they're really struggling with how do we get that message to folks when, you know, the algorithm puts us so low yeah, in there. Yeah. And we've got some automation on this side, but I think it, it really is a difficult thing. Um, I think the, the best part about social media, though, is kind of some of that evergreen content. So I learn about a nonprofit. I'm going to go look at their social media and see right. the kinds of things mm-hmm. they're talking about. So it does help me as a donor get more informed about who they are, what their brand's about that sort of stuff. I think though, in terms of really driving action, it's a lot harder. Yeah, gotcha. That totally makes sense. Well, and I think one thing that's really fascinating is that we have, because people are living longer, um, we have so many different generations of donors now that we're trying to target. And so we're constantly trying to look at those different sections or those different, um, you know, generations, ages, and, and trying to hit all of them. And so right. where you're saying, oh, we're on Facebook. Okay, well, you know, 
Gen Z is not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So how's our Insta game or TikTok. who's on Snap or TikTok? Yeah, TikTok. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can't you guys even guys be great on up. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely, I don't even know it. I don't even know how to do it on TikTok, but if you guys start a TikTok, I'll subscribe or follow or whatever. <laughs> that would be great. There uh, it is. That's all the push you needed right the there. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> We're going to uh, join today. We're going to join today. Crowdfunding. You guys fans like Indiegogo's, GoFundMe's, things like that? Or do you just see it as something like when you like literally a Kickstarter where you just get started and then you bail on it? What do you guys, what's your views on crowdfunding? So I think crowdfunding is a really interesting thing and uh, really indicative of the times um, where people are wanting to give um, and give to things that really speak to them. You know, when we look at the philanthropy data over the last 10 years, um, only in the last two has um, donations to individuals actually been a big enough percentage to hit our uh, data source. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is actually really an indication of like our millennials, our Gen Zers who are, who are giving because their friend's mom has breast cancer and our healthcare system isn't effectively addressing that. Mm-hmm. And so we've got folks who are engaging in crowdfunding beyond just nonprofits, right? They're, they're giving to individuals and, and um, ideas. Um, some nonprofits have been able to really harness that when they've got something new or shiny, um, exciting to get folks behind. Um, but for most organizations who are, you know, they're, they're dealing with homelessness in their community. You know, they're, they're, they're banging the gong, they're, they're doing the drum, um, but they, they don't have that kind of big, new, exciting thing. Then crowdfunding is just like another platform, like, yeah. you know, just one other way to give. And so I think nonprofits, uh, there was a period where a ton of them jumped into crowdfunding. Like this is going to be the thing that changes it for us. And at the end of the day, it's just another way to make a donation. Yeah, It's got to be that that's something different. That's really going to tap into people um, in a different way for it to truly be successful. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to convert those donors. Yes. And so it doesn't become a long-term sustainable. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. So, you know, if I give to my niece in Florida for her school's, you know, fundraiser, I'm giving to my niece. I'm not giving to that school necessarily. Mm -hmm. So if that school solicits me later on, I'm less likely to give a second time. And so that's what we have found in anything that we've done. It might work for that one event, but then being able to take all those new people and convert them to longtime donors is very difficult. Well, and so many of the crowdfunding platforms actually don't even provide the donor data. Uh-huh. So to nonprofits, it's really challenging then, yeah. right? Like we got these people excited. They want to be involved and we have no way of reaching no out list. to them. After yeah. This. yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. I was curious about that. You know, if you did an Indiegogo campaign or something like that, do you get the donor data? And apparently not so that's yeah you get a little chunk of money you're right but how much yeah. nice would that be if it came in through your your own system and you're able to harness those email addresses and exactly. be able to communicate with them yeah even facebook fundraising which is like a big thing you know my birthday for saint jude's or whatever mm-hmm. most um most donor info doesn't get back to the nonprofit, and so you've yeah you've raised a little bit of money for them but there there's no long-term connection to the organization after that we can't even thank them properly yeah yeah, interesting. Wow. Hmm. So um, now it's turned into like rapid fire question <laughs> questions. <laughs> I had another question about donor burnout. Have you guys experienced that? And what do you think for nonprofits? How, what do you do to prevent donor burnout? Um, for those who are listening, you know, it's basically a donor who gives ongoing. And after a while, maybe they're like, oh, I've been giving to this nonprofit for five years, six years, and 
Should I still give to them or should I give somewhere else? Well, I, my motto is that people give to people, that they definitely give to causes and organizations that they have a heart for and they have to have that heart connection. But ultimately what keeps a donor is the relationship to the organization. And so I think um, where we fall um, in a trap with that as nonprofit staff is that we don't take the time necessary to cultivate the relationship. So that means reaching out to donors about things outside of giving, trying to bring them into the organization for, you know, different events maybe that you're hosting that is just informative or that just educates people on whatever cause your organization is working for and getting them part of the fabric of the organization rather than just, um, and I've heard donors say this a million times, rather than just an ATM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we call all of that that Brittany's talking about is stewardship. So the number one reason for donor burnout is over solicitation. Every time you hear from your favorite nonprofit, they're asking you for money. Nobody wants to feel like that. Um, and so what we see nationally right now actually is 54% donor attrition. That means you gave last wow. year, you're not going to give this year. Wow. So our donors, you know, they come in and they and they leave so quickly because we're not stewarding them properly. We're treating them like ATMs. Um, and I get why on the fundraiser side, it feels like, well, we have to be asking because otherwise we aren't going to get the money in. But if we stopped and said, you know, are there ways that we can make this? Yeah, just an event where we're informing and bringing them in closer to the mission. It would probably benefit us better long term. That's great. That, that is a good great. tip for anyone out there in nonprofit land. Huge tip. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, man, this has been an awesome podcast. I could keep spitfiring random <laughs> hot seat questions, but I want everyone who's listening to this to go subscribe to your guys' podcast Definitely. so they can consistently get this information. They're not going to get it all here. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this, make sure that you are going over to the nonprofit reform, reframe, reframe, <laughs> reframe that. <laughs> nonprofit reframe podcast and subscribe to their podcast. It's got so much great content. Like I said before, whether you're in the sector and you just like the banter and you want to hear jokes about life in the nonprofit world, or you're (laughs) starting your own nonprofit and you need help with all the aspects of nonprofit life, you've got to subscribe to their podcast. There's so much good content there. And where can uh, people find you as far as social media and stuff goes? We are on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at nonprofit reframe. And TikTok later today. And TikTok later today. <laughs> awesome. And then if someone's listened to this, Nia, you said you also are a consultant. If someone wanted to take advantage of that, what would that look like? Yeah, um, they can visit my website, missionlaunchco.com. Um, and it talks about all the fundraising and board governance services we offer there. Awesome. awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you both for sharing your little corner of the universe with us. Thank, thank you all you. so much. Yeah. This is great. Cool. A lot of fun. If you liked today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneroftheuniverse.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.